Rooted in Language provides research-based, multi-sensory strategies for struggling and typical learners. We focus on giving you, the educator, the tools you need. Our classes provide methods and instructional plans to help you create a path for your students. All our products support this path and foster deep learning. The more you dig into the foundational skills of language arts, the more your students grow. At Rooted in Language, we believe in our products and ideas. Each product is refined through our work with children of varying ages and abilities. However, we recognize that teaching styles differ and that children are individuals with complicated needs. Consequently, Rooted in Language offers no explicit or implied guarantee or warranty for your children's learning outcomes. Bum, 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 Hello, everyone. Welcome to part three of Learner-Based Language Arts. I'm Rita Savasco, and I'm here today with Maura Krizanowski and Tracy Molitors. Hey, Howie. So we are continuing our uh, three-part blog and podcast series where we're talking about this idea that um, as we work through what kind of time and effort we should put into different areas of language arts, we want to think a little more like a pie chart than, um, you know, rules written in stone. Yeah. You just kind of want to think about where the majority of your efforts for whatever they are. And as we've encouraged over the prior two podcasts, we want to think in terms of what goes on within a month what goes on within a week, and then what goes on within a day. Yeah, more, more in percentages as opposed to, um, you know, minutes of time, right? So with, how many minutes yeah. a day? We often get that question, With right? the longer-term time frame perspective, giving you more freedom as an educator to yeah. bob and weave with your daily uh, changes that For occur. Sure. Yeah, so we get that question a lot, you know, well, how much time a day should I be doing this, and how much time a day should I be doing this? And, you know, we're trying to give you some, um, you know, some breathing room, some freedom in, in changing the way you think about it. This more of kind of these larger chunks and percentages. Generally, I want to be spending this percentage of time in my week or in my month doing these kinds of things based on the reading and writing stage your student falls into. Right. So these early years of education um, tend to be focused more on acquiring these reading and writing skills. And then we make this shift where instead of focusing so much on learning to read and learning to write, we're focusing much more on reading and writing to learn. And that is a big uh change that happens around this time. Just to do a quick review of where we've been with this three-part series so far, we opened with talking about introducing skills, so introducing brand new concepts to new readers and writers and uh, growing them into the process of actually making words, reading words, writing words, uh, and then into gaining skills and practicing skills where they're taking those early literacy efforts and they're beginning to grow with that. Right, so once our students are reading and writing efficiently, we really begin to focus on reading comprehension and writing, engaging in writing, and we call this stage solidifying skills. And our pie chart really shows this, where reading uh, comprehension is about equivalent to the writing expression. And I just want you to notice it says writing and expression, because a um, significant area of language that we use to deepen learning is conversation. And we need to remember that, that listening still matters. I think most of us kind of get that, but what we may not get is how important using oral language, discussing ideas, having conversation really deepens learning and really sets kids up to have this really rich platform for what they read and what they write. 
On the flip side, uh, notice it says writing and expression, also remembering that we can't only be discussing these big ideas just in verbal expression. You often need to have a lot of support to help kids to apply what you've talked about verbally in their writing, especially if there's underlying language weakness, if there's dysgraphia. Um, you can have students who really struggle making that transition to what was discussed verbally into the written form. A lot of times we have parents or educators who kind of assumed like, well, now we've done all this talking, so you're totally primed and set up and like go write it all. And there's a lot of space in between having talked about it and, and that flow of thought from head to hand, organizing that, recalling all of that, being able to kind of make that transfer to the written form. So you really need a lot happening and a lot of support happening in both of those areas, which is why they are together on the pie chart. And that being said, I just want to remind you if you're like, what pie chart? Um, we have these little pie charts that we've been, you know, illustrating out for you in companion blogs um, that have been going along with this whole kind of three-part series. So we had um, episode one and episode two, and then now this episode three um, all have blogs on our website in the Twigs blog that go along with what we're talking about today so that you have visuals for these percentages, these pie charts that we're talking about. Right. <clears throat> so... When we talk about um, this stage, remember you're solidifying skills at this stage. So as Maura already said, students are needing a lot of support. And especially the struggling learner is needing a lot of support. But what I want you thinking about is that this reading and writing now is happening across the curriculum. That with both fiction, different genres, with both fiction and nonfiction, which often is referred to as expository text. So what does that look like? I think most of us can imagine these different genres of fiction. You just kind of can walk around a bookstore or a library and you see them labeled the mystery, the narrative, humor, sci-fi, historical fiction. There are these different genres of fiction. Nonfiction can be um, biographies, current events, they can be um, in the forms of uh, online articles, web searches, but also our subject areas. Comprehension of the language of math and using the language of math in writing about a process. Understanding the language of science and the vocabulary that goes along with science. History, social studies, they all are heavy in different demands. History has one of the highest level of demand for grammar and for vocabulary. A lot of abstract concepts are in our history and social studies. It's very important. And so kids are learning to begin to inference, to track plots a little bit. They're beginning to figure out how I read and interpret text. And they're engaging with these complex grammatical structures that, you know, show up in both narrative and expository text, but the um, the more you advance, the more complex those structures get. The more it get. can become a barrier yes, if you don't get it. Exactly. The more complex those structures get. In fact, there's a lot of research that shows that, you know, and, you know, it's pretty obvious when you are just reading versus speaking, our written text is a lot more syntactically complex than the forms we use verbally. So, again, you know, a lot of practice in these areas to help them begin to solidify skills in all all of these realms because it's not going to look the same depending on whatever sort of discipline or style that you're reading. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple points that we're kind of re-hitting here from earlier podcasts, but this is really where they come out. The idea that this is where you're switching from learning to read to reading to learn uh, really has been true for uh, maybe a little before this, but you're really starting to see it in this stage. And also writing to learn, not just reading to learn, because you're going to use your writing to describe the reading that you're doing. So you're getting really into analytical uh, kinds of writing and taking that to the next level. You're also probably doing some research for your writing and you're doing some exploratory writing as well. Uh, so, and, and the other concept that we're reinforcing here is that reading and writing reinforce each other, that they, you should do them both together 
from the very beginning, but you're really going to see those blocks interlocking and building on each other as you get to this level. Right, right. And, and if you started when Maura was talking about um, the fact that there can be a lot of support needed to get that nice flow from head to hand, if you started to feel a vague niggle of unease or outright panic or somewhere along that, that uh, continuum, uh, don't worry, we have a lot of products that we offer that actually help you down that road, that provide practice in that very idea, um, supporting getting thoughts onto paper, starting with bits and pieces of writing and growing it slowly over time into full-blown papers uh, and stories. And, and they're, they're scattered all over. We have, um, we have phrase trees that's kind of an art and writing combination-based thing. Uh, that's a that's a activity that we offer in our Trees in the Forest book uh, that's kind of interesting for helping kids jump into that idea of getting deeper thoughts onto paper. Um, we have our Annotating Literary Elements product. Um, more we'll talk about that some more in a little bit, but uh, one of the concepts within that is the ability to understand plot structure and recognize it when you see it and recognize that there are different kinds of plot structure and what just understanding that structure can give you about the deeper elements of story. Uh, what's the theme, for instance, can come out of analyzing what the plot structure is, which is kind of a fascinating process and we do a lot of hand-holding in annotating literary elements to help you get there with your students. Um, yeah, so in this solidifying skills stage, um, original writing becomes a really consistent part of learning or, or we're encouraging you that it, it should become a very consistent part of learning across all these subject areas. Um, although um, we also try to prioritize creative writing and personal writing, um, one of the things we talk about a lot is um, keeping your practice really relevant um, so that students are seeing you know, the, the benefit of all of these things that they're practicing. And one of the best ways in which we can help practice become relevant to them is when they're practicing these things in their original writing. They're using the um, areas that you're practicing in order to help them edit. Um, you know, we can do that through creative writing and personal writing. It can become, um, but it also in, in their original writing that isn't necessarily creative writing. Mm -hmm. But that is what's going to help it feel relevant to them is if, you know, we're really facilitating the process of helping them see you know all of these things we talk about and how it folds into the way in which your writing is developing it's easy to kind of talk about you know a concept and and have it remain completely disjointed from what they're doing in reading and what they're doing in writing that can happen a lot in any setting whether it be homeschool or traditional school um, where you kind of teach on something and then move on right and you're not working on you know, where do I see that in text and where and how can I use that in the text that I create? Um, so also in this stage, you want to be, again, really focusing on, especially at this point, intentional copywork dictation and editing to incorporate all of these areas and continue to, we use this word consolidate, or, you know, that can be synonymous with solidify all of these things together. So spelling um, and how word study informs spelling as well as continuing how you know phonics and syllable skills inform spelling as well as um, kind of what I mentioned earlier the continued complexity of grammar and mechanics of text um, and then also using that process to help facilitate those close reading skills to improve comprehension so when you are um, pre-teaching for copywork and dictation, you're now beginning to notice some of these deeper things in addition to just spelling and, you know, some of the grammatical constructions. You're also noticing things like the word choice of the author and maybe discussing some of the vocabulary and not just, wow, that's a good vocab word, but 
why was that word particularly chosen here? Usually authors have some, you know, reasons or some motivations behind some of those things. And also when you're teaching about some of those literary elements like alliteration or similes and metaphors, not just teaching, hey, this is what a simile or a metaphor is and, you know, here's kind of what it looks like, but really looking for that over and over and over again in multiple passages that you're then going to be engaging in for copy work, looking for it even in passages maybe that you're just reading and discussing that maybe aren't even for copy work. And then also, and this is a piece that's often missed, practicing using those devices, rhetorical devices, annotating literary element devices, the things that we help walk you through teaching and then also applying in our ALE program, um, and beginning to practice using those in writing. One of the things that's, that's kind of what Tracy was saying about this writing to learn is one of the best ways to help kids recognize some of these more figurative language type things, stuff that's more abstract, it's not very concrete, it's harder to see is if they're practicing doing some of it themselves in their own writing because writing is one of the deepest forms of learning and integration we have all these words that all mean similar things the integrating solidifying consolidating writing really does that so always remember that when you're practicing things in copywork dictation and editing that's where you're getting that passage work but remembering to also be looking for and practicing those same kinds of things in their own original writing as well so one of the ways we can use copywork and dictation to help solidify concepts, right? To solidify this new learning is your passages can at times come from other areas in the curriculum. So if you are learning about some science process that's rather complicated, one of the things you can do is make that a copywork passage and illustrate that process label that illustration, then on top of it, write a narration about what you learned about that process. You've deepened the learning so much when you have engaged with, with new concepts at that level. Sometimes people will say to us, well, how often a week should my child be writing? Well, the question more is how often a day, right? Like really the goal is that writing and reading is in every subject area. And also making sure you're working on, you know, the copy work writing in addition to original writing. Sometimes you can get a little bit stuck in only doing copied passages mm -hmm. and the original writing is very important as well. Um, and don't forget the importance of, of the bits and pieces of writing that are going on in things right. like charting and uh, mm -hmm. labeling. Right, not right. everything has to be a big, you know, consolidated piece, you right. know? Right, right. Um, I, and I just wanted to add on what you said, um, that, you know, we're giving you permission here to be pulling passages from various areas. A at the solidifying skills stage, you're beyond the, um, what we call controlled text, right? So you can now begin, you have some more freedom in where your copywork passages are. And um, when you're looking for these kinds of deeper things, word choice, literary devices, you can really be surprised. You'll find it in a lot of different kinds of writing, you know, and that is what's gonna really bring that home for your students. Right. One of the things John Hattie, we always talk about John Hattie's work where he put together this analysis of what was deep learning. Um, one of the things is going deep into a topic. Like that seems so obvious, but it's actually not always happening in education, right? Yeah. And we all feel that pressure, like there's so much to do that maybe I need to cover all of American history all the way up through you know, uh, the 1900s this year. Well, you can if you want, but I just have to say that if you don't have some stopping points where you spend a whole month really digging deep into a topic, it's when you go deep that deep learning happens. Yeah. And that's something to really remember, that if we're really building concepts and building knowledge and building vocabulary, you cannot be skimming across the top all the time. That's not 
going to build into this deep understanding. So when you spend time reading and reading if you know from different genres and reading from different subject areas and looking at that vocabulary and writing about all that, you just deepened their skills. And doing That's, some projects. Projects really help right. bring this out and also, you know, require time. Right. So it can help slow you down. Right. I mean when you're really thinking, hey, what I'm doing here is growing a learner then it almost doesn't matter what you're teaching if you think about it that way like I here is this student that's becoming a proficient reader is able to interpret is beginning to analyze is beginning to write that's the goal pick the topic it doesn't really actually matter that much we're really going for this growing a learner and that's what we're about and trying to get their lack of skills to not be a thing it's not their stumbling block anymore it's they, they can go the anywhere once they have started to firm up these skills well and it takes some pressure off of you as the educator too if you think about it as i'm growing someone who can be you know the best learner or scholar that they can be you know then if there's maybe some subject area that you just didn't do your best job in because maybe it wasn't your strength as an educator or what may have you there's you know many reasons why there might have been some holes in your education you know you've grown this learner that is capable of gaining that skill at any point in time which in which he or she needs it right like I always say um, or you always talk about how you just didn't do a great job with geography, you know, and we didn't get a ton of geography in homeschool. But, you know, I do I feel completely ill-equipped to gain geographical information when I, am you know, feel like there's a hole there and, you know, do some research and learn where things are? And absolutely not, because you grew someone who is able to, you know, learn anything I want, right? In fact, they, you know, are beginning to define a learner as someone who understands how to use a resource and asks right. questions how to think how to yes. think yeah. right yeah how to ask questions <clears throat> so let's move on we're moving on to the next phase that we called applying skills we're applying skills and if you notice we've if you're looking at the blog and the pie chart that goes with this applying skills you'll notice all of a sudden handwriting got a wedge got a little <laughs> wedge in here and the reason is, um, and, and Moore is going to address this more about handwriting and cursive, but be, handwriting comes back in because usually around this time we're introducing cursive. Now that can vary. Um, the age when, at which you do it or the stage at which you do it can vary. Yes, it can vary, and it certainly can vary for the struggling learner. Cursive might get introduced sooner, it might get introduced later than maybe what is typically done um, you know, by grade level, um, and more will go into that as well. But this, the, the point of this applying skills phase is that kids are becoming automatic in their reading and writing, and they have some fluency or flow in their reading and writing. And now that's becoming solid. They really are not having to put as much cognitive juice anymore in the process of decoding and spelling, they're getting much more ability to use that cognitive juice, cognitive juice instead on higher level thinking. And so it, this is really where the, um, the solidifying skill stage was the launch of this mm -hmm. reading and writing to learn. Now they are totally, you know, in takeoff in the air. They're just on this path of, um, of this higher level concept building thinking analysis and this is really the bulk of the students school years at this point um so, so all this, subject areas can involved. i just say mm -hmm. this applying skills stage is is the point at which students have proficient reading and writing skills that are now at their disposal yeah. for growing deeper in wherever they need to grow their knowledge deeper right so it's, it's less like i'm trying to gain skills in order to be able to use them now i'm at the point where i can just use them in order to further my own right. education as a human right. they've, they've got basic comprehension down at this point when they read and also in their writing it's, it's basically clear mm -hmm. but they're now getting out that sifter 
Yeah. And getting into the fine Honing. grains. Yeah. Yes. Right. We're right. homing. I know, and, I know. you know, hopefully this never ends. I mean, we're all still doing this, you know. Um, this is also where note taking starts to become really, really important. How students take information, how they're able to analyze it, interpret it, distill it to its most essential ideas, be able to differentiate between what is the bucket of the concept, kind of what we think of as the main idea, and what are some of the details and facts that need to go in that bucket. The way they read and organize and can track across text, not just at the paragraph level, not just at the short passage level or a chapter, but they may now be having to build concepts of an entire history text for the school year. Synthesis so, skills. So yeah. yeah, and they're um, in their reading, they're now engaging in what educators love to call close reading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so they're right. really down into those right. details. And this is where we really work on these annotation skills. We want them taking notes. Analysis skills. We yes. want them tracking their learning, and we want them to be able to recall and discuss and talk about. Again, we're focused on reading and writing here, but please, please, please do not forget the role that oral language plays in this. We're building as we have conversations and debates. We're building vocabulary and building ideas. So sometimes expression, both verbally or written, actually helps us even understand more but, you know, we understand more at the end of writing a passage or at the end of having a conversation than perhaps we did when we started out. And any proficient writer will tell you that they've had that experience where you're like, you have some assignment and you're trying to kind of work out what you're saying. And in the midst of, you know, you sort of getting your ideas down. <laughs> we had a clink. <laughs> we were moving our glasses around. Um, in the midst of you sort of getting your ideas down, you sort of become clear on what you're trying to say. Right. <laughs> and you kind of get to the end and you have all this gobbledygook and then out comes a really nice clear statement right. and you're like, oh, that's what I'm trying to say here. And you can kind of maybe move that up to be your topic and now you have a better idea of how to formulate that paragraph. And it came from the kind of grappling with ideas through writing, which is, you know, just your brain at work, lots of processing happening, and it can help you come to clarity. Yeah, and another idea while we're on expression um, that we, again, we've talked about in previous podcasts, and I just wanted to remind everybody that one of the things you can do uh, to help a student who just needs a different perspective or is, you know, a little bored with the same approach uh, is bring in some art. Because yeah. art is a fabulous way to access expression in your brain and then lead back to writing and analysis from the art. So at this stage, when they're applying skills and they're really um, deep thinkers, uh, you could even bring in some abstract art where you read something and you spend some conversational time talking about what was the mood of the piece and then maybe a little exploration into color and how colors express mood. So maybe I'm going to use this color palette to just do an abstract painting about this story I just read. You might want to play with the focal point of the painting based on what was the focal point of the book. And maybe there's multiple focal points and you put that into your painting. Um, Oh, gosh, I don't know. There's so many ideas you could come <laughs> with on this. I think um, about how I used to not like history until I went to college and took an art history class. Right. Once I could track history based on art and architecture, mm -hmm. suddenly I had an interest in history I had never had before. Right. You know? Well, so, sculptures, too. I mean, yes. historical sculptures yeah. are incredible and really inform a lot about the historical time period and context in which you're studying, right? Yes. And philosophies of the time and the literature of the time, they all start to fit together so nicely. And the religion of the time. I yeah. mean, yeah, there's so many. Right. And isn't that deep learning? Absolutely. Um, the cross-genre thing is just so powerful. Another concept that I wanted to circle back to uh, that Maura began talking about when we were talking about solidifying skills is the idea of writer's style. That's another deep concept that can be very difficult for students to wrap their brains around and to find examples of and to understand what do we mean when we talk about writer style. And yet it can be very integral to understanding, getting the most you can get out of a piece that you've read 
or out of what you want to write as well, uh, because your own writer's style begins to factor into that. Again, mm. practicing what you're doing in writing. Well, and also you only really develop a writer's style the more you write and write and write yes. and write and yes. write. And then yes. even getting a sense of what your own writer's style is, yeah. right, you only get through writing. Exactly. Um, so, so there are things more talked about uh, word choice as being one of the things that, that students can start to look at. What are the deliberate word choices that a writer is making and how is that helping or harming this story in your opinion? Uh, also, just the very syntax that they use. It's always deliberate, and, and a lot of students fail to realize that. But what, however the writer is choosing to present their ideas is very deliberate. Is it a bunch of phrases? Is it uh, big, lengthy, convoluted sentences? And what does that mean to the story? Why did they make that choice? Well, and also nowadays you'll get a lot of books where there's syntactical changes as you change perspectives mm-hmm. of character, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and very very popular thing to do. Right yes, now. right. You'll have a book where each chapter is someone else and the writers will shift their style to sort of emulate the, the voice of that particular character. Mm-hmm. And then those things come together and form this mood of the piece that you're reading and that's we were just talking about that with regard to trying to dig into that through painting right right and you also have academic language so what kind of writing and language do you use do you use if you are writing um the procedure of a science uh project you know of a science uh, experiment right if you're having to write up a science report you have this certain kind of language yeah, that there's you a use rhythm to and, it and there's a certain yeah. you know procedure you follow right. as opposed to if you are um, uh, creating you know if you're talking about something that happened historically there's a certain kind of academic language you use as you lay out the way events have yeah. in fact events have evolved there's just this and you begin to imitate what you read Right. So when you're science writing, you're going to imitate what you've read in science and helping kids see that kind of language mm-hmm. and get that well, kind of you voice. To compare it to art, that is what you do when you're practicing art. You pick artists to mimic. Right. You're not copying in the sense that you're trying to pass off your work as theirs, but you're copying their style so that your own can grow through that process. Well, and I totally have memories of doing that as, you know, I, I, I did a lot of art, but I also, you know, did a lot of writing growing up. And, and I would have these favorite sort of sections of books, you know, and I would try to write in the style. I, mm-hmm. I am obsessed with Jane Austen still, but when I discovered Jane Austen, I did a lot of writing in the voice of Jane Austen and in the vernacular that she used and yeah, like trying to tell the, yeah, yeah, trying to mimic that. And, you know, did I end up writing like Jane Austen as my own voice? No, because that's, you know, not really likely to be my own personal style, but it certainly influenced it quite a bit. So, you know, obviously we've been talking a lot about this process of writing to learn, which really circles back to um, one of the biggest ways we write to learn is through note-taking, which is actually quite a a complex skill that needs practiced over and over, um, which, of course, implicates handwriting again. So if you haven't introduced cursive yet, this is sort of the stage at which Um, we would say you definitely want to be introducing cursive, but I do just want to note too that, you know, you might be thinking, oh, well, this isn't this kind of the phase at which everything is really automatic. You know, why be introducing cursive here? Well, you know, we'll introduce cursive at different times, sort of depending on the profile of the student. If I have a student who has um, you know, some, some real language delays or, or specifically some real handwriting concerns like a student with dyslexia or dysgraphia. Um, I often introduce cursive maybe as far back as that gaining still skills stage. Like I usually stick with print for the introducing skills, um, but I want to be getting them to a more fluent sort of mode of writing um, as quickly as I can, and so I would introduce cursive at that point. But if you have a student who's relatively strong, relatively typical, they're doing fine, you know, they're on a, you know, medium to fast track, you know, they're progressing along and they've been fine with print, um, you know, once they've kind of gotten to this, you know, more automatic stage, this is a good phase to bring cursive in as that secondary mode of writing. 
Um, and it really is important to learn other styles of handwriting. One for cursive, you know, there's a lot of research behind cursive as being a, uh, you know, really helps with spelling. It helps with clarity of writing. It helps with speed and efficiency of writing. So it's, uh, we all believe, and you can talk more to this too, that it is always worth it, even if you don't have a student who is struggling. Although it is certainly recommended, in my opinion, if you, if you have a student struggling with handwriting. Um, and research really supports this, it, and it's really going to help with this process of note-taking, or it really can, because it can improve note-taking speed. It helps, you know, lead to better recall of information, um, in addition to improving handwriting and improving their, their processing of information through improved spelling. So it's important at this stage, and it's also, if you have a typical developing learner, just a good point to introduce it, because typically it'll sort of come in pretty fluently if they already have a lot of automaticity kind of under their belt in all of their other skills. It's part of when you think about when we talk about literacy, you know, to be a literate person in our society includes flexibility. Being, yes, includes flexibility right. and being this hybrid writer right. that's called the hybrid writer who can manage, handle, and be proficient at print cursive and we're on to our very last graph which introduces keyboarding oh. <laughs> and those those all three are important now if you have a struggling learner with dysgraphia and you have abandoned print and gone to cursive and they're having more success with cursive sure yay yeah and you're you're gonna focus on keyboarding and cursive yay my only thing I would suggest you really focus on in print as a life skill is you have to be able to print your own name mm -hmm. and you have to be able to print information like birth dates addresses things like phone that. numbers phone numbers yes yeah. so all of that needs to be worked on and legible um, so that they can fill out forms later. But other than that, it can be cursive and keyboarding all the way for a struggling learner. But if you don't have a struggling learner, there's absolutely no reason why we don't want kids to be proficient in all three levels. And that leads us to keyboarding. And more, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because a lot of people are like, well, we didn't actually teach them. We just kind of let kids go on and do it in their own way. Um, you know, why do, why do we care if it's, you know, this formal keyboarding training? Well, um, well, and, you know, formal keyboarding training can take many forms, you know, they don't have to jump into some course, although a course can be nice for accountability, but, um, you know, doing, doing the formal teaching of, you know, what we think of as where your hand positions are supposed to be and learning the, you know, motor, skills and the motor patterns for quick keyboarding it's really important for a lot of reasons first of all we live in a technological age it used to be perhaps that you could get away with not really learning to keyboard or type um, unless you were a secretary or something right and that was really kind of siphoned off as like there were certain jobs that involved typing and so you better learn to type proficiently if you were going to do that but everyone else didn't really need to and the reality is we just don't live in that world anymore every student every person operating in the occupational world is going to need to be an efficient and proficient typist um, and also it just is as Rita said this other flexible mode of text in which everyone is operating and you will be held back and frustrated if you aren't able to kind of keep up in that realm and if you're using kind of henpecking fingers here and there you won't be efficient it, it is basically the typing equivalent of you know when we see kids you know holding pencils with their elbows sticking out and their hands upside down and they're holding it like a trough and it results in this kind of like snail speed of forming a letter that never gets to any kind of efficiency or fluency that's basically the equivalent of the henpecking on a keyboard there's no motor memory involved there's no fluency of how the the positions of your fingers and the letters themselves combine to create words so that you have this very slow very frustrating form of writing which never really takes off and then doesn't become part of a student's lexicon for a better for lack of a better term. Right. We uh, used to have these meetings, and um, some of the people in the meeting were taking notes by hand. Some of the people in the meeting were uh, 
typing. typing. And um, we had a person in the meeting who wanted to pick out everything on her phone as a means of taking notes. And we were always having to wait on the person pecking out the notes on their phone. I mean, it's just not an efficient way to take notes. It's right. not fast. Everyone else had it all down yeah. so quickly. And, you know, I mean, I think it can be your own skill, your own generation. I mean, we all have one area we feel like we're absolutely fastest at. Right. That's that's typical. But you just want to have skill and ability across yeah. all those different areas. And a bit on note-taking. I'm a big proponent of really working towards for students first becoming proficient you know, users of handwriting, the written, the handwritten mode, whether that be print or cursive or some hybrid version, because, you know, that's what happened to me. I was fine with print, stuck with print for a while, didn't learn cursive until I was pretty proficient with print. And then I now have this kind of, you know, I'm, by that I mean like third grade or something mm-hmm. like that, fourth grade. But now I have this kind of like I've sort of chosen all the best pieces, you know, to kind of create this handwriting that is fastest for me. And many people, you know, speak to this. They'll be like, oh, well, you know, I write in print, but I always use the cursive S or the cursive R or, you know, whatever. Or it's cursive, but I print. It's cursive, but I print any capitals. Yeah, Yeah, or something like that. Right. (laughs) I mean, who really does? (laughs) Although I now, I now write the cursive capital Z because I married a man with a Z in his last name. So it's become part of my signature. But (laughs) anywho, um, so I I think it's really important to become um, proficient and fluent in handwriting. And then also, if you're not using both cursive and print, having some form of handwriting that is efficient for you, and then um, also always working to become an, a proficient keyboardist, um, because there's sort of these two sides to note-taking. Note-taking, research has really proven, is not actually as efficient by typing in terms of what you recall and what you understand and comprehend as you are writing. So, you know, research research has shown this time and time again that students who are writing their notes by hand are recalling and understanding more of what was being discussed or taught. However, when, and I was just talking about this later, you can tend to be able to get more down if you become a fast typist when you note-take typing. So what can be nice is if you have both of those modes in your skill ability, you can switch in and out depending on what the um, what the context requires. When I was in grad school, my professors were zipping through the material in class, and I would miss too much of it. And they weren't giving us any of the you know PowerPoint slides beyond the class. Some of them did, some of them didn't. So I needed to get it all down, and the only way I could really do that was through typing and then I would realize boy all I did during that class is verbatim spit everything that the professor said onto a typed sheet of paper and I didn't remember any of it so I had to print it off go back highlight take notes on things and then I was using my handwriting to help me recall and retain and understand what was being said so that flexibility is so key if I hadn't had one of those options either one of those options I would have been highly um you know, uh, disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know more about uh, how we work with kids who do struggle with handwriting, we do have our class on handwriting. Um, You can get it still as a a recorded class um, in our shop under classes. We have handwriting for the struggling learner, I think. It's called Handwriting Struggle and Intervention. Ah, that's it. I can never remember the name of our class. We don't remember the names of any of the things (laughs) we create. (laughs) We had one discussion coming up with a name a while ago. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. yeah, we always have to ask Claire. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I want to go back talking about things mm-hmm. that you should have in your tool belt. Yep. Reminds me to say a little more about grammar. So if, if you're looking at the blog, if you've seen the pie charts that we're referring to, you'll notice that the dreaded grammar wedge starts to appear in the pie charts as early as gaining skills. Uh, and then it just stays there. Because grammar is, it's difficult to express just how important it can be for a learner. It is the real structure that our language is hung on, so it can be the thing that hangs you up if you don't get it. So it's kind of, um, it, it impacts you from two different ways. It impacts you from the inside looking out and from the outside looking in. Right. And what I mean by that is, From the inside looking out, it's going to impact your ability to comprehend what you read. 
because of the structure of sentences and understanding, automatically recognizing things like subject and verb, whether you can name them or not, and you should be able to, um, but once you've gotten to that level, you really can understand a sentence much quicker when you see it on the page. What we call the hierarchy of how language is constructed when there's complex sentences and there's a lot of clauses, you know, in, in, a, in a single sentence, you have to be able to kind of track and sort of right. reorder which is sort right. of the most important over And, and you may have to stop and do that even right. as an advanced reader. Yeah. But to have the ability to do that when you need to is quite key in mm -hmm. reading more advanced text. Right, for sure. Uh, and then, you know, you turn that into writing and the ability to express yourself in a clear and cogent way uh, is much improved as your grammar improves. So that's that sort of inside-out aspect of it. Then you've got the outside-in where people will judge you on your grammar. They will judge you on your writing. They will <coughs> judge you on your ability to comprehend what you read uh, and to express yourself properly. And I just had a really interesting experience. Sometimes we invite people to judge us and we, we don't think of it that way. Um, I just talked to a young man who is out of college and he's working in a job he doesn't enjoy and he had his boss come to him and tell him to apply for this other job which he would very much enjoy and he said um, oh don't worry about it just throw together a resume it doesn't have to be a big deal and so the, the gentleman I was talking to told me that he just threw this thing together and, and he asked me to look at it. Unfortunately, he'd already turned it in because it was so poorly done. Because he took the guy at his word that he could just throw, throw it together. It together. Yeah. He had grammatical issues throughout the whole thing, let alone organizational issues. And, and the sad part to me was that he could have easily gotten help and gotten that fixed, but he didn't even know to do it. Well, and that brings up another sort of key skill at this stage, at the applying skill stage, and just so you know, for the past several minutes, we've been kind of talking on this very last pie chart where it says to infinity and beyond um, of, you know, and I don't even know if this is part of the pie chart, but it's certainly part of the applying skills stage is learning how to use your resources, find resources, mm -hmm. engage with, you know, other disciplines that can help you in areas of weakness, recognize your own areas of weakness and where you need you know sure. what he may have been you know a relatively proficient user of language but sure. his, his written his grammar is right his written grammar is maybe an area of you know that he can you know be working on but to know that about yourself and to know to be using resources when it when the you know context calls for it right. is huge and we want to be having helping kids learn to do this from honestly, from from the introducing skills phase. And the amount that grammar knowledge increases your self-editing ability yeah. is also very large very and true. impactful. Well, it's why we are such proponents of explicit teaching. You know, as our students, I mean, we have students who are struggling learners. We have students who have um, language delays, and they end up feeling like the thing they're the most proficient in. It's, is uh, their um, literature and comp classes. Why? Because, you know, and they actually end up liking grammar and feeling like they're pretty good at grammar because they've spent years with they've us. They've done the most deep yeah. learning right. in those areas. Explicit teaching, and now they get it, and they know how to apply it, and we work on applying it all the time. We work with samples to show them worked samples. Worked samples. To yep. show them when, when in their copywork passages. Their own samples and other samples. Yes, and then we've used their own writing and we've just taken them step by step and held their hand and given them strategies that they've used. And that makes a huge difference. And if there's one thing I want to say about the to infinity and beyond is that, you know, I'm still learning how to be a good writer. And isn't that fun? I'm still <laughs> making mistakes. Right. Well, I also, I wanted to say, if all this talk about the little grammar wedges in there are putting you back on that spectrum somewhere between vague unease and total panic, uh, <laughs> we do have a couple of products that are really helpful with teaching you how to explicitly teach these concepts to your students. 
So one is our laying a path grammar and mechanics class. Which comes up in January. Right. And that's rather, you know, the drinking from a fire hose thing. It's, it's, it's quite a lot of information, but it is recorded. You can then watch it over and over and over, take it apart, take it a step at a time, which is how we do it with students. Unfortunately, because of the time constraints. Time, yeah. yeah, we have to kind of dump it all on you. We try to do it in an orderly fashion. Um, the other thing we have is a product, which is our, our grammar bugs, big bug grammar one, two, and three. And those are uh, manipulatives, which some people look at them and they think, oh my gosh, they're just for little kids, and they're not. We use them all the way through high school with kids. And what we find is because of the left to right nature of the bugs, the, the heads and their little bug butts, um, they are very helpful in showing kids the structure of grammar. Making the structure visible. Yes. Right. And movable. Visible. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And they engage in problem solving because they're manipulatives that can be moved around. It's not just here's your lesson, here's your sentence. Yeah, remember, remember these weird words. Yes. <laughs> right. You're really engaging in what are these doing? How do they fit together? And, and we just um, feel like we're really getting that down to a level that. Uh, is is making not not only a huge difference but we have all the parts in the order that we are liking the best yeah. now function, and that's function, been function. what right. is it doing in the sentence right that's and that's been about. a long time coming so just to wrap up in this uh, podcast which has gotten to be a little bit lengthy um, just remember that the writing and the reading is at this stage and on and even now into our adulthood is all about developing higher level thinking skills, of being analytical, of comparing ideas, of developing theories and a thesis, and being able to introduce thoughts and conclude, helping a reader follow your thoughts. Does it make sense? Being cohesive, right? And coherent. And coherent, you know? And the other thing is recognizing, hey, what are some good quotes here? How can I cite evidence, whether it is back to this fiction or nonfiction, that I always have to be able to support what I'm talking about, and, um, and, and we're still always helping, recognizing that content is the most important aspect of kids reading and writing skills, but really also simultaneously helping them to become proficient in the mechanics that need to go along with it. So their their skill is not being judged, right, based on mechanics, and people can really look at content and appreciate that. The mechanics being the spelling, the grammar, the handwriting. Right. And also helping the, them. The punctuation. Commas, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the goal is to help them become more and more and more independent so that they don't need us anymore. And that right. is our goal. So I would say we pretty much, you know, covered the life of the death. student. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, right. And, you know, as I said, we're all still in this process ourselves, and we hope you are too. So keep reading yourself. Keep engaging in oral language with those around you, right? Keep engaging in conversation and pick up the pens and keep writing yourself because even if it's not something you love to do, we are lifelong learners yeah. in literacy. Thank you for listening to the Rooted in Podcast. Um, we want to remind you to visit our website and check out all of our resources there. We have a lot of free resources for you, such as this podcast you've been listening to, as well as a blog and many free downloads. In addition, you can find um, all of our instructional materials and class information on our website. Uh, we also invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and subscribe to our YouTube channel for lots more free ideas, discussion, and resources on reading and writing. Thanks.